0: Welcome to Dissecting Philosophy with Dr. McDonald. In this episode, I'll be reading and discussing the section of the Great Longing in Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which deals with a nice discussion of Zarathustra talking with his soul. So let's get started. Of the Great Longing. O oh, my soul i taught you to say today as well as once informally and to dance your dance over every here and there and over there o oh, my soul i rescued you from all corners i brushed dust spiders and twilight away from you O oh my soul, I washed the petty shame and corner virtue away from you and persuaded you to stand naked before the eyes of the sun. With the storm which is called spirit, I blew across your surging sea. I blew all clouds away. I killed even that killer bird called sin. O oh my soul, I gave you the right to say no like the storm and to say yes as the open sky says yes now silent as light you stand and you pass through denying storms oh my soul i gave you back freedom over created and uncreated things and who knows as you know the delights of things to come oh my soul i taught you contempt that comes not as the gnawing of a worm, the great, the loving contempt, which loves most where it despises most. O my soul, I taught you so to persuade that you persuade the elements themselves to come to you, like the sun that persuades the sea to rise even to its height. O my soul, I took from you all obeying, O oh my soul, I took from you all obeying, knee bending, and obsequiousness. I myself gave you the names dispeller of care and destiny. O oh my soul, I gave you new names and many colored toys. I called you destiny and encompassment of encompassments, and time's umbilical cord and azure bell. O my soul, I gave your soil all wisdom to drink, all new wines, and also all immemorially ancient strong wines of wisdom. O my soul, I poured every sun and every night and every silence and every longing upon you. Then you grew up for me like a vine. O my soul... Now you stand, superabundant and heavy, a vine with swelling udders and close-crowded golden-brown wine-grapes, opposed and weighed down by your happiness, expectant from abundance and yet bashful because of your expectancy. So, we have the great longing then. Which follows on from the section of the last episode, which was called The Convalescent. And the way in which that section ended was that Zarathustra was lying down in a state where he was talking to his soul. And then all the animals which were looking after him then departed and he's left to have this good conversation with himself. And so this is how the start of the section kicks us off with this repetition of oh my soul, oh my soul. And what you can take from that as well is what I've touched upon is the whole relation into traditional philosophy where you would have that relation into the soul and also all your actions would be in relation to making your soul pure and therefore cleansing it of any sins and so forth and therefore you would be able to have the best afterlife possible so that would fit into let's say Plato's philosophy and something that we get in Phaedo so when we touch upon this section in Nietzsche we have this very classical sort of Relation back into the soul again but it's twisted a completely the opposite way not into a focus on the afterlife and death in which Nietzsche is always critical of that but rather a focus on the here and now and precisely today and that's the very first line that we get from this section is this focusing on the here and now and then we say well what is one of the key things of the problems of the here and now and then that builds up to what's all this washing away and cleansing the soul aspect of it what is all this washing to do with basically and it goes back into Nietzsche's sort of philosophical project at least one aspect of it all at least within this book is to reinvigorate humanity in such a way that they are no longer in this whole passive subdued submissive state and therefore feel much more liberated and much more self-assured and also all the positive qualities of humanity as well such as the creativity and this is to hit against the whole aspect of having viewed everything in a very much nihilistic sort of state where there is nothing positive whatsoever and everything's just really doom and gloom and that's one of the nice aspects you have of Nietzsche's philosophy as opposed to Schopenhauer and one of the main problems that he sees with Schopenhauer and really from that as well you could say well Schopenhauer's philosophy is also reflective of its time as well in such a way that everything's focused upon suffering and viewing everything really just precisely in that again doom and gloom sort of way whilst is Nietzsche's trying to shake everybody out of that state and to say well actually no humanity's much more than just being in this state where we don't feel basically anything at all we're very much robotic no we're not in that state we're, why is that because we're these very much creative passionate people that get things done and so that then goes into the whole aspect of saying well this is why i've brushed all the dust off you this is why i've gotten all the twilight away from you to get all this state of ambiguity and state of decline as well to have therefore humanity try to come back to this high point again and it's quite interesting because then it touches upon you could say one of the things that Nietzsche keeps on coming back to is one of the things that he admires is humanity in those very much pinnacle points let's say or what he sees as pinnacle points like great civilizations within history and so on because you could say well from all that what is humanity not being in that state? They're not being in a state of decline. There is no ambiguity. Everybody's very much self-assured. Everybody's very much productive, creative to whatever extent that is within that time period. And Nietzsche's seen his own time period is very much a dip into the decline, and hence why he keeps on saying about that noontide as well that that noontide will come that'll basically have that dawn that'll lead us back into that creative state again and we also have this interest in relation back into nakedness which is a third part that comes out say well if i strip everything away and look at it naked what would it be like as an idea and that's again a thing that's cropped back up previously to say well What is Nietzsche trying to get here is because so much different things are always piled onto it within given time periods and so forth. But if we just strip back all this and just strip it down to absolutely nothing there and just had it stand there, see it all in its glory, as you'd say then you can see well is it actually something that's very much grand or is it just precisely the clothes that's been put on it clothes in inverted commas of course that try to dress it up as an idea or a concept and that's precisely the point as well is always precisely the way in which a things presented to you that then make it look good but then you strip it away and then would it look quite as amazing would you be quite so much enamored with that if you just stripped it all away and then we build upon that whole aspect there in the next sort of little bits that happen where he's saying well really i gave you back the whole yes and no i gave you back the freedom of the created and uncreated and then the whole aspect of i took from you all obeying knee bending And so we precisely have that nice relation into philosophy then come out. And always one of the main things about what is so important about at base what philosophy allows people to do is arrive at that point where you're able to say yes and no, where you're able to view problems, where you're no longer just in that sense of obeying and knee bending also what you would call is herd mentality. Just going along with what everybody else says and does. And so one of the key things that comes out of the whole philosophical aspect of it. Is just that whole point about developing your own opinions. Developing your own ideas. And then from all that you have that development of a yes and no. Yes I like this because no i don't like that because and then suddenly you have much more freedom than what you did because prior to that it's all just going along with what other people say what other people like and it's all that development of your own identity your own opinions and so then he goes into the whole aspect of well i've given your soul all the wisdom to drink and therefore i've Tended to you lovingly day and night, and now you're at a lovely point where you've ripened and you're ready to be harvested basically for your ideas. So, we have this whole movement that goes on within this first little part. We have the relation into the soul, we have the focus on the here and now we've had stripped away all this sense of decline for humanity he says then we have also at the same time this development about self-certainty development about our own personal identities and ideas and then we could say well what is the point of all this relation into harvesting and wine and so on you could say well once somebody has then developed their own ideas and opinions people very much become enamored with them and so you have this sort of interest and cycle that sort of continually goes on whenever somebody develops an interest and perspective on something suddenly other people will start to latch on and the irony of that of course is the other people that latch on are fallen back into is what Nietzsche would say is the trap of herd mentality becoming so enamored with other people and their opinions and so on that they then don't develop them for themselves so it's interesting at the same time as advocating for the benefits of people developing their own ideas and opinions, is also showing the pitfalls that people have of through that sort of idolatry that can be built up at the same time. And then also just remembering it is just precisely an opinion and a perspective, and it's not the absolute opinion, and it's not the only way in which you can look at things, which is also the pitfalls of becoming so much caught up in precisely one person's view is that you then forget about all the different perspectives and opinions and various different challenges to that that also can crop up so then continuing on we have this interesting discussion with Zarathustra and his soul that continues on and where his soul becomes sort of this happy but at the same time melancholic sort of stay through this whole process of harvesting that's going on so let's continue on then oh my soul now there is nowhere a soul more loving and encompassing and spacious where could future and past be closer together than with you O my soul, I have given you everything, and my hands have become empty through you. And now, now you ask me, smiling and full of melancholy, which of us owes thanks? Does the giver not owe thanks to the receiver for receiving? Is giving not a necessity? Is taking not compassion? O my soul, I understand the smile of your melancholy your superabundance itself now stretches out longing hands your fullness looks out over raging seas and searches and waits the longing of over gazes out of the smiling heaven of your eyes and truly O oh my soul who could behold your smile and not dissolve into tears the angels themselves dissolve into tears through the overkindness of your smile it is your kindness and overkindness that wishes not to complain and weep and yet your smile longs for tears o oh my soul and your trembling mouth for sobs is all weeping not a complaining and all complaining not an accusing thus you speak to yourself and because of that O oh my soul, you will rather smile than pour forth your sorrow. Pour forth in gushing tears all your sorrow at your fullness and at the desire of the vine for the vintager and the vine knife. But if you will not weep nor alleviate in your weeping your purple melancholy, you will have to sing, O oh my soul. Behold, i smile myself who foretold you this to sing with an impetuous song until all seas grow still to listen to your longing until over still longing seas, the boat glides the golden marvel around whose gold all good bad marvelous things leap and many great and small beasts also and everything that has light marvelous feet that can run upon violet paths towards the golden marvel the boat of free will and to its master he however is the vintager who waits with diamond studded vine knife your redeemer O my soul the nameless one for whom only future songs will find a name and truly your breath is already fragrant with future songs already you glow and dream already you drink thirstily from all deep resounding wells of comfort already your melancholy reposes in the bliss of future songs oh my soul now i have given you everything and even the last thing i had to give and my hands have become empty through you that i bade you to sing behold that was the last thing i had to give that I bade you sing, now say, say which of us now owes thanks, better still, sing for me, sing, O oh my soul, and let me pay thanks, thus spoke Zarathustra. So then, we have the soul ready to be plucked, or, as he likes to have as this whole metaphor, like a set of udders ready to produce milk, and nobody is gonna do any milking nobody's gonna do any plucking and what is all this getting towards is that nobody is gonna benefit from his ideas whatsoever there is nobody at the given time period ready to indulge in all his ideas and opinions and so we have this interesting point then it's melancholic because it's so enthusiastically wanting to have that outpouring i have a specific idea and opinion and or have created something fantastic and so forth and want to share it with everybody but everybody doesn't care about my idea or what i've produced And so it's this whole sadness that sort of comes with that. So we have this nice relation into our mental health that sort of pops up. And the whole sort of psychology. Once you've arrived at who you are, what you think, your opinions, created something from all that. You want other people to also indulge in what you've done, what you've created and so on. But... Here he says, well, it's not happening whatsoever. But what's also interesting is it's not to beat yourself up about it. What he says is what you've got to do is sing. To sing with an impetuous song until all seas grow still to listen to your longing. So it's that whole point to say, well, even though that other people might be not indulging in your ideas or what you have to say that you've still got to continue on like this impetuous force continuing on down your path and don't worry about everybody else just continue on doing you basically and continuing on down that road and keep producing work in the midst of all that which i think is one of the most important things is that you can creatively beat yourself up to the point where you don't want to produce anything worthwhile because of that lack of any sort of sign of acceptance or even popularity that oh well what is the actual point of continuing nietzsche's here saying well don't worry about everybody else don't worry about their opinions just keep producing that's the main thing keep producing with your ideas and your opinions and whatever you're producing in the first place and that's the important point and eventually we have this whole metaphor upon the seas and so forth and traveling in the boat and then we have that lovely relation into the future, and that your melancholy reposes in the bliss of future songs. So, therefore, all the creative output that somebody's made is left for future generations to latch onto. And that's the whole point about well, your creative output, well, possibly then have a beneficial relation into the future even though people don't really see the benefit of it in the present and so we sort of have that really nice sort of relation back into you know historically various different writers and artists and so on who are only really appreciated posthumously so after their death and you could just go to even just a wee quick google search just pops up the article 16 famous people whose talents were only recognized after their death so so just a wee article written by Puneet Gill from the website scoopwhoop.com and then one example of that of course is Van Gogh where we have it's just a wee snippet from that this artist died in 1890 having only sold one painting and popular recognition of his artistic work only came about after his death in 1910 van Gogh only sold one painting during his lifetime it sold for the equivalent of approximately 109 dollars he was a shy child with low self esteem, but later discovered his love for drawing and painting, and then developed his artistic career during his 20s. Later, he went into depression and suffered from epilepsy, which led to his death. After his demise, around 2,000 pieces of his art were discovered, which are valued in millions today. And another example that we've got as well is Emily Dickinson where it says, Emily Dickinson was a shy recluse who barely published any of her poems during her lifetime. Upon her death, her sister, Lavina, discovered 40 hand-bound volumes of nearly 1,800 of her poems and got them published. And many believe an unfulfilled romantic relationship focused her writing style on being highly personal and related to her own life events. So again... For just a couple of examples there, we can see this whole point about what Nietzsche's trying to say here, that, well, people like to, again, think that they're not producing anything great, producing anything significant, but, as what Nietzsche's saying, the whole point is on that production itself. As long as you've got you down, basically, then don't worry about everybody else. And then nicely, we can relate that into Nietzsche's own philosophy and the way that he views it, and that's because of his own view that it wasn't appreciated within his own given time period, and so... He views his own philosophy as very much a future philosophy, one in which those in future generations will precisely appreciate. And from all this, you can use Nietzsche's own creative output as a very much positive thing to say, well, even though that his books are not selling in vast quantities and he's not achieving the popularity that he wants, that doesn't matter. Because other people in future generations will see that benefit that he's given. And of course, post Nietzsche's death, we can say absolutely there is a massive benefit to Nietzsche's whole philosophical project. And also the great task that was sort of done as well in the 50s to therefore build Nietzsche's philosophy itself as a philosophy and not simply... ...as just somebody who's just purely a literary writer... ...or somebody that's focused on just aesthetics. Because we have Bertrand Russell's quite harsh criticism against Nietzsche's philosophy... ...that's in the history of Western philosophy... ...where he argues that Nietzsche isn't actually a philosopher with a philosophy. But that's only because... Bertrand Russell views everything very much in the traditional sense and what Nietzsche's doing is of course as you mentioned quite frequently going against the grain of doing things in that traditional style and so when you have somebody coming from that traditional background who would look at what Nietzsche's doing it would be very much a weird thing to look at but We could see from sort of the 50s onwards. And one of the important books for Nietzsche's philosophy itself was Gilles Deleuze's Nietzsche and Philosophy, which is the whole project of precisely crafting what makes the actual philosophy itself within his work. And then, of course, lots of other different writers and so on, all writing on Nietzsche so that about wraps it up for this episode in the next episode we'll be continuing on into the next section the second dance song many thanks for listening to the episode i hope you enjoyed my discussion of the section of the great longing in Nietzsche's thus Spoke Zarathustra. Feel free to check out my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. Feel free to also tip me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. You could also drop me an email at my address philosophy at gmail.com. And lastly, I could be found on Twitter at Rubberman. Many thanks for listening, and I'll hope you'll join me next time.